0: At LCM, as a missionary, we get attached to churches, right, to train churches, uh, to reach out with the gospel to people on estates, Muslims, and so forth. And one of the things that we set up in Hope Church is a door-knocking ministry, i.e. we knock on people's doors, build friendships with them, and chat about Jesus with them, innit? It's fun, you will love it. Yeah, you will. Honestly, you think, well, man, I'm no JW, it. But like, honestly, it's don't like that. But during the first lockdown, the only thing we were allowed to do was door knocking. Because we were like key workers, so we were allowed to go out and do door knocking and stuff and help people out. And I had a fascinating conversation with someone when I was door knocking. So I knocked on their door and I introduced myself. Hi, my name's Shane. I'm from Hope Church, Vauxhall. And he went, are you a Christian? And I went, yeah, yeah, we're getting down to this quick. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And then he said this to me, have you had the jab? And what he meant by that is if I had the COVID vaccine, right? And, you know, I thought he was talking all health and safety and all that. So I was like, yeah, I've had the jab. Like, I'm a key worker. I got it in January, isn't it? And he went, he said this to me. This is what he said. I can't believe you as a Christian have had the jab. Didn't I know that Bill Gates is working with big pharmaceutical companies and the government to put microchips in the COVID vaccine so they can put them in our arms and control us. And I was like, "Rah!" I didn't know that. And as we started getting talking to him, I realized something. That might sound a bit out there to you, what he just said, a conspiracy theory. But as I started talking to someone, I realised this, is that I shared a similar heart issue with him. And may I suggest that you guys may share a similar heart issue with him as well. And Jesus is going to chat about this in the verses we're looking at today. So we're going to start in Matthew 11, looking at verse 28. And I want you to picture the scene for the moment. And it's up on the screen, praise Jesus. I want you to picture the scene for a moment, right? Jesus is chatting to a crowd, a crowd of people, a really mixed crowd, diverse group of people. And he's just said to them, in the couple of verses before, is that everything has been committed to me by my Father. What that means is, is that the Father has given Jesus the Son, authority over everything, so Jesus is king, he's king of the universe, he's king of the sea, he's king of the land, as the child song goes, and he's king of mine and your lives, but this is what I want to show you, right, how Jesus uses his authority. Now, check this, right? I don't know about you, but sometimes I sit in sermons and I start thinking about that program McDonald's and Dodds that's going to be on tonight, So, and I start drifting away from the sermon. So to help me and you not drift away from the sermon, I'm going to try and get you to repeat the verses for me. So in verse 28, what are the first three words? There we go. That went too hard, didn't it? Come to me. Jesus uses his authority as an invitation to come to him. And it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian five years, 10 years, 15 years, or you're not a Christian at all. The invitation is for the crowd that he's speaking to and you. It's a bit like this, right? About 10 years ago, I had a really rich friend. And his parents were getting married. Well, no, his parents were married. It was their 25th wedding anniversary. And on the invitation they gave me, they said, Dear Shane, we would love you to join us to celebrate our 25th Reading anniversary. We're going to have a free course meal in a lovely mansion in Sussex where we're going to do falcon hunting. You know where the bird is on your arm and it goes out and hunts meat and comes back? And we would love you to join us, Shane, and experience this special day with us. I was sold. I went. It was a lovely time. And they wanted me to come to celebrate their wedding, and it was a blessing to me, their wedding anniversary. Now look at who Jesus is inviting. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Jesus is inviting people in the crowd who are tired of life. They are weary and burdened. Sound familiar? There are two reasons, right, that this crowd that Jesus is chatting to are weary and burdened. First reason is they're under bad religious authority. The second reason, they're under bad government authority. So check this, right, the religious authority in Jesus' day were like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these were groups of people that were meant to be leading God's people in love and worship of God. What were they doing instead? Jesus says in Matthew 23, they were tying heavy loads and burdens on people and crushing them. Bad religious authority. The second reason why these guys are tired of life in the crowd, because it's bad government authority, isn't it? So... The Jews at this time, God's people, were under Roman occupation. And I don't know if you guys know anything about Roman history, but the Romans were not great occupiers, great conquerors. They didn't believe in the Geneva Convention of Human Rights. Let's say that for one. And you see hints of this earlier on in the Gospel of Matthew, right? And you might remember it from Matthew 5. A Roman soldier could come next to a Jew... And if he was a bit tired, the Roman soldier, of the backpack that he was wearing, he could make the Jew wear it and force him to go with it miles. And if the person didn't do it, the Roman soldier could beat him up and even kill him and get away with it. This was the sort of place these people were living under. They are tired because of bad authority in their lives. Now check this, right? You might have noticed but sometimes I go to the gym in it don't worry if you didn't notice but you might have sometimes and what it is I love getting the large dumbbells and I love just going yeah like this and I'm starting to do reps and I'm like I can do this man I'm pretty you know, I'm big and strong looking in the mirror and they really make those mirrors make you out make you look bigger in it but I'm like this with my dumbbell but after a while The dumbbell starts getting really heavy. My muscle starts contracting and it becomes weary and tired and I drop the dumbbell. I think that's us with life. Sometimes you could be sitting here now, yeah, thinking I'm doing life. Everything's under lock. My diary's fine. Everything's under key, isn't it? But at times, life becomes a struggle. It becomes tiresome and we drop the dumbbell. Brothers and sisters, are you tired of life? Come to Jesus. And I don't just mean physically tired. I mean tired of life's journey. It's weary and burdensome. Let's have a look at the next phrase. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Haha! So Jesus invites the crowd to come to him. He's using this authority as an invitation to come to him to experience rest. In this text, rest can mean two things. The first thing it can mean is this. Eternal rest. So, There's a book called Pilgrim's Progress, a proper old-school book written by a guy called John Bunyan in the 17th century. And basically, Pilgrim's Progress is about a Christian who's called Christian. I know, isn't that great? And in Pilgrim's Progress, he's leaving the city of destruction, and he's on a journey to the celestial city. And on this journey, lots of things happen to him to try and take him away from the celestial city. So Mr. Legalist comes along and tries to take him off the right path. He crosses this river that's all with sewage and fire and these hands try and grab him and drag him in it. He ends up in a castle and in a cage that is full of doubt. and It's called the Castle of Doubt. And he's stuck there and his journey stops. But one thing that gets Christian in the story to the celestial city is thinking about the celestial city itself on the journey. Brothers and sisters, may I suggest that if we thought about more where we would be with Jesus in the future, that might give us rest in the burdensome and tiresome lives we live today. Because you know, at times, we look for rest in other things. And we fail to see the rest that we can have in Jesus because we fail to see where we will be with him at the end. And at the end, right, it talks about how there'll be no more mourning, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more war, there'll be no more relational breakdown, marriage breakdown, but we'll be with Jesus Christ looking at his face. And we'll be in true rest then. In our struggles of life today which make us tired, May I suggest we think of the eternal rest we're going to have with Jesus in the future and that could stabilise us even in the struggles of life. Let's carry on, innit? So here we go. Verse 29. Take my yoke. Interesting word. I remember I was doing this with kids once, right? And the kids went, oh, egg yolk," And I went, not quite, but we'll get there, innit? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me now Jesus says to the crowd that they must take his yoke upon him. What on earth's a yoke? So I don't know about you, but I like a bit of Discovery Channel now and then. And sometimes they do like farming programs and all that in it? And a yoke is something that you put on cattle back in the day to help them carry a burden, like a plough or something. And so it's like two like wooden or metal bars. If you've got two bits of cattle and it goes like that and you kind of pull the yoke and it helps them carry like a plough. Also, back in Jesus' day, a yoke was something that a teacher used as a representation for his teachings and authority. So if you came to study under a Jewish rabbi in the first century, you took their yoke upon you. So it's a bit like this. About 11 years ago when I was at university, in my course, on my history course, we got to choose what modules we did and we got to choose the teachers we were with. And this meant the teachers had to write nice little spiels and blurbs about who they were and what they did and why you should come and learn under them. And i never forget one teacher, because he said something like this. He said, Come and study medieval studies under me. I am one of the foremost scholars in Joan of Arc studies. I have only one of three Latin documents of Joan of Arc's trial, and I own it. I'm also a consultant and an advisor on Joan of Arc's studies when it comes to making documentaries and films. I was sold. So I went under his authority and learned about Joan of Arc. Now look what Jesus uses. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am Gentle and humble in heart. Jesus doesn't use his academic credentials. Jesus uses his character. And his character is gentle and humble. When you take Jesus' yoke upon you, your master is gentle and humble. So many years ago, right, I heard about this debate between a Christian and a non-Christian. And in this debate, right, a non-Christian was actually winning it, the debate. But he stopped debating the Christian, and people went up to him afterwards and went, why did you stop debating that Christian? You were winning it, you were beating him. And the reason why he stopped debating the Christian was this, because he said this, he said that Christian was just too gentle and humble for me, and I felt guilty, so I didn't want to go on with it anymore and I thought to myself if a sinful follower of Jesus Christ can be that gentle and humble towards his enemies how much more is the master of the universe who is copying Jesus's heart and character is gentle and humble so the way he's a master over us and our king is in a gentle and humble way For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest through your souls. So, second meaning of rest. We can experience rest today by obeying Jesus. Now, that seems like an oxymoron. Because at the start, I was chatting about that guy who I met on doors who was talking about microchips in the COVID vaccine. Do you know what his big issue is after I started chatting to him for longer? Mistrust of authority. He didn't trust people. He didn't trust authorities. He didn't trust the government. He didn't trust the NHS. He didn't trust his doctors. He didn't trust anyone. And I think for many of us, we've had bad experiences of, of authority. We've seen people lie, like politicians and so forth. And in our culture now, we see authority in a very negative way. So when I'm telling you, Come under Jesus' yoke and obey him, you will experience some rest. You're thinking, nah, man, you're chatting, innit? Sorry, interpretation. No, that can't be true. Sorry, I forget I'm not in London. It's a bit like this. So, when I was 14, I was a bit of a naughty boy, and I wanted freedom from my mother. And my mother was the sort of mum who wouldn't let me smoke and drink in the house wouldn't let me bring girls back, and I had to go to bed at a certain time. And at 14, I thought, I'm not having this, I'm leaving. I'm experiencing freedom. And I did. I left at 14. 14 years of old, and what I did is that I sofa surfed on my mate's houses whose mums weren't there anyway. Do you know what? I spent three months doing that, and it was for some of the most painful, <laughs> suffering memories of my life in those three months. Because we had no money or access to money, so we had to steal. And then if we got caught, we got arrested. And I remember one time, me and my mate were so hungry, we went without food for two days, we found some bread at the deep depths of his bread basket somewhere, or in someone's house, and I remember just picking it, eating it, and it was the greatest thing I ever tasted. But what I'm trying to show you there is this. I left my mother's house at 14 for three months because I thought I'd experienced freedom. I could go and meet any girl that I want. I could smoke what I want. I could drink what I want. Fun times, I'm free. It ended up being the most painful moments in my life. All because I wouldn't obey my mother. In a similar way, this is what happens to all of us with God. We can sometimes think, yes, I'm going to believe and trust in Jesus, but I won't obey him in this area. We won't experience rest. And we try and look for rest in other areas in our lives. I need a bigger house. Maybe that will give me more rest. I need more money. Maybe that will give me more rest. I need better friends. Maybe that will give me more rest. Or in our culture at large, identities. All this pursuing after identities... Black identity, white identity, gay identity, straight identity. It's a pursuit of happiness and rest. Which in the end, when you reach that and you understand and you cultivate your identity, you realize it doesn't give you the rest and happiness you wanted. Brothers and sisters, we are tired of life. And it can become weary and burdensome. Obeying Jesus... And taking His yoke upon us can help us experience that rest today. Last verse: For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now I always struggled with this passage, right? <laughs> and I tell you why. Here we go. I don't know about you, but the last time I tried to love my wife like Jesus loves the church, it was difficult. Hmm? The last time I tried to love my enemy, it was very difficult. The last time I tried to love my neighbor as myself, it was extremely difficult. Jesus' commands. So what does Jesus mean here by saying his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Well, his commands are difficult. Let's be honest, they are. Do you know what? I think Jesus means this. I think because of Jesus' nature, his humble and gentle heart, the way that he applies his commands to your life, to train you and me to be like him, is in an easy and less burdensome way. Jesus is not that abusive father who will smack you up and punch you in the corner of a room if you get it wrong. Jesus is not that mother who tells all her friends how naughty you've been. Jesus is not that church member or work colleague who gives you passive-aggressive looks when you do something wrong. We've all experienced that in churches, haven't we? Let's be honest. But Jesus, as your master and God, deals with you in a gentle, humble way and walks with you So you become more like him and applies his commands to your life in a way that blesses you, even though it can be painful. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And coming under his yoke today, whether you've been a Christian 50 years, 10 years, or you're not a Christian at all, coming under his yoke today, you will find rest for your souls. Let me just chat about Jesus' love and character for a minute. I read a book once called um, Loved Walked Among Us by Paul Miller. Excellent book. If you're a reader, read it. I should have mentioned that one to you earlier, shouldn't I? Excellent book. And in it, he says these things. He basically does a study of the Gospels. When Jesus went for his alone time and was praying, with his father. People would come to him and disturb him. And you know, if you're anything like me, if someone disturbs me in my alone time, man cave time, it's my personal time, I'm like, what are they doing? Not Jesus. Jesus went off and went and served them in their messy situations. Jesus was the sort of guy who would look at people, have gut-wrenching compassion on them, and go and minister to their needs. Jesus was the sort of guy who would eat with traitors and the sexually immoral, 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 who were seen by other people in the society as outcasts. And Jesus would eat with them, become friends with them, serve them, and teach them. Jesus even did this with his enemies. You see many times in the New Testament how Jesus ate with Pharisees. They wanted to kill him. Imagine you go around someone's house and they want to kill you. Just sitting there eating your chicken with them, out right, mate. Jesus ate with them. Even when they were having bad thoughts about him, and it looks like Jesus could read their thoughts, he still ate with them, loved his enemies. Jesus would go across the social dividing line and touch Lepers. And leprosy in that culture is seen in one way as a curse by God. If you had leprosy, you were cursed. You're on the outskirts. You stink, you smell, and you're cursed by God. Jesus would cross that divided line and touch them and heal them and in one sense made himself unclean to take away their uncleanliness. This is the sort of master we're obeying. This is the sort of king we're obeying. Jesus ultimately showed his love on the cross. Because on that cross, Jesus took all our sin inside of his holy body. And it it, it says in the Gospels is that, It went dark. And what that means, darkness there means, is that the father pouring his wrath on Jesus. And that means for the only time in eternal history, the father turned his faith away and the son, his face away and the son was alone. Cursed for us, for you, for me. So we may have rest. There's a Christian rapper called Timothy Brindle who once said this, For ever will I tell, Christ suffered more in three hours than any sinner ever will in hell. And what he meant by that was that on that cross, because the Father had turned his face around, Jesus experienced all the pain for our sin put on him. It was sufficient for our sins to be forgiven. And Jesus rose again i very much to count them a minute over time, but give me another minute. I love that you've got a counter there. We need that for our church. It would get people moving. One more minute, though. One more minute, one more minute. So, now, with sermons like this, there's a danger. Because some preachers, and this is a temptation for all preachers, would be like, do this, this, to this, and you experience rest in Jesus. I'm going to give you one thing, right? One thing. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of mockers. But blessed is the man who meditates on God's law day and night. i tell you what he's like. He's like a tree planted by streams of living water whose leaves yield its fruit in time. The big thing I want to bring out there is meditate. Now, when I say meditate, I'm not talking that. I am talking, what the psalmist is talking about there, is chewing over, contemplating, thinking through God's law. May I suggest, brothers and sisters, that this week we come under Jesus' authority and chew over his words, chew over his love, chew over his sacrifice. Whether we're doing it in our devotions when you sit there, or whether you're in your car going to work, or whether the kids are around you and they're driving crazy and one's throwing chicken at you and the other one's screaming and you just want to kill them, think of Jesus' words. And you will experience rest for yourselves.